Please remain standing for our Old Testament lesson, which is also our sermon text from Jeremiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 8. It says, Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city be desolate, without inhabitant? And all the people gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die. For he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city, and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to speak all these words in your hearing. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for... Jeremiah and his example of faithfulness to you. Lord, we thank you for your Son and his Spirit that lives in us. We pray that as we study your word today, you would conform us into his image by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, our reading this morning certainly ends with a touch of dramatic tension, doesn't it? Jeremiah's life hangs in the balance at the end of verse 15. We are left to wonder, will he live? And there's more. The defense that Jeremiah has given has put the people and the priests and the prophets on trial. Will they amend their ways or not? And if they don't, what will the Lord do? I'd like for us to look at the entirety, the whole chapter of Jeremiah 26, and we will find out the answer to those questions as we do. But I left the reading off there in verse 15 where I did, because the chapter brings up the issue of faithfulness. Jeremiah must faithfully proclaim God's word, and the people must faithfully receive God's word. And that issue of faithfulness is always a live question for you and I. Will we faithfully receive God's word and will we faithfully proclaim it no matter what the circumstances are? And so it ends with a question mark because it's a question mark for us in our lives also. So let's walk our way through the chapter and see how Jeremiah and the people respond to God's word coming to them. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, This word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship 
in the Lord's house all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not diminish a word. Jehoiakim, the, the king referenced there, came to the throne uh, after his brother Jehoahaz's very short three-month reign. Jehoahaz came to the throne after his father, referenced there, Josiah, was killed by Pharaoh Necho. But Pharaoh Necho deposed Jehoahaz and put up Jehoiakim as a puppet king in his place. His father, Josiah, some of you know, had led something of a revival in Israel, a reformation of worship and morals, but it seems that that revival was tragically short-lived. Jehoiakim's ascendance to the throne of Judah changed the whole dynamic of the city and of the country and of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. His father, Josiah, had, had made Israel a place that would be much more amenable to preaching like Jeremiah's. But with Jehoiakim on the throne, Jeremiah's preaching was out of favor. The country is already in such a state, just a few years into Jehoiakim's reign, that God sends Jeremiah to the very temple precincts itself to preach for the people to amend their ways. We bring up the context of this because our national context is in some ways very similar to what Jeremiah is dealing with in Jeremiah 26. We also live in a country that has had, at some superficial level at least, a knowledge of God and of his ways in times where our people walked in the ways of the Lord, and yet today we find it increasingly more and more hostile to the word of God. And it is in the context of a a place where righteousness and holiness is on the decline, that God calls Jeremiah to preach faithfully. He calls us to preach faithfully as well, saying, do not diminish a word. Do you see how total what God is calling Jeremiah to do is there? He said, go into the temple and preach to all the people of all the cities of Judah Do not diminish a single word. The point is, even in, or perhaps especially in a difficult context, those who would be a witness to God's word, who would proclaim God's word, must have a heart that is warm and soft towards God's word. If you would be a witness for God and for his word, you must have a heart that is a bit like wax taking the seal. Our hearts need to be like wax, and God's word is the seal. It's able to be imprinted upon there exactly. A heart that is hard only takes somewhat of an impression, maybe vague ideas of what God is like. But a heart that is soft towards God's word is one that receives the word totally and is willing to speak to anyone and everyone about it. Jeremiah's call brings up a question for us, whether our hearts are like his. Do we have hearts that are receptive to God's word? Another way to ask that would be, do you have any problem passages? Are there parts of God's word where you read them and you begin to bristle? Do, are there any 
places where God calls you to specific obedience that you just don't want to do. If we would be faithful witnesses to God, we must have soft hearts toward his word, just like Jeremiah does in his call. God calls him not only to receive his word totally, but also to have courage. He says, do not diminish a word. Why would Jeremiah be be tempted to diminish a word, to cut short his message that he talks to people? Well, just read his message. Go look at verses 4 through 6. This is the message that God gave him. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded. Then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. This is, this is a sermon. And actually, Jeremiah chapter 7 records the same event, same incident, and he gives even more detail I'll flip over there. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 7 as well. This is uh, Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah 26 record the same sermon that Jeremiah preaches in the temple precinct. Jeremiah 7 focuses more detail on the sermon itself, while our passage, Jeremiah 26, looks more around the context and the response of the people. But this is Jeremiah's version of it in Jeremiah 7. Beginning in verse 3, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, Or walk after other gods to your hurt. Then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave your fathers, forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But now, but go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people, Israel. The people in Jeremiah's day were not looking to the Lord or being faithful to him. Rather, their confidence was in the religious system, the temple and its rituals. That's what the Lord says when he says, Do not say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord is these. They seem to think that having the temple nearby gave them immunity from the judgments of God. Provided that they worshiped there and performed the proper rituals, they supposed the Lord would not call them to account. In effect, the temple had become the exact opposite of what it was supposed to be. Instead of a place where sinners could come and find forgiveness of sins and freedom from sins in their life, it had become, as God says, 
a den of robbers, a place where the wicked come to seek out refuge from those who would punish them for their crimes. God warned Israel through Jeremiah that this way of thinking was futile. And to do so, he pointed to Shiloh, which was the original sanctuary of the Lord, which God destroyed by the hands of the Philistines in the beginning of 1 Samuel. At that time, the Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh, and God sent Israel's enemies up to them because of their wickedness and destroyed the city and took the Ark into exile. When Jeremiah brings up Shiloh to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they understand that history. They remember this history. In fact, it was because Shiloh was destroyed and the ark was taken away that Jerusalem was able to become the center of worship uh, for God's people in the first place. They knew what Jeremiah was, was predicting, what Jeremiah was bringing up. If Jerusalem and the temple were to become like Shiloh, then Jeremiah is saying, the city is going to be raised, the temple will be destroyed, and God's glory will go into exile. Friends, this kind, of, this kind of formalism and this hope in ritual is a temptation today no less than it was back then. How often in what ways do we respond to a call to return to the Lord, to turn from our evil ways and to walk in His will just the same way as people did in Jeremiah's day? How often do we console ourselves with the downward spiral of logic that because we are the church or because we are this church or because we are in this denomination that we must be right. Jeremiah's exhortation to repent to those who worshiped at the temple is a reminder that going to church by itself has no merit before God. It is totally possible to be in a holy environment and go through all the motions of worship without having a heart that is sincere before the Lord. The Lord desires not that those who who come to worship Him, who gather to worship Him like we have today, that they are perfect in holiness, but that their hearts be true in repentance and that that repentance be exhibited in our lives. And we must truly come to him seeking the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit be putting sin to death in our lives. To trust in empty ritual was a temptation back then and is a temptation today. But what Jeremiah warned the people in Israel was that to believe that is to put yourself in a dire situation. So those of us as the church, as God's people, we're called to bear the prophetic word like Jeremiah. And we must be willing to warn people when they are in a dire situation. And that's always a very difficult thing to do. Just this week I was talking uh, with some of you, with one one of you who said that you were relating a story about how you had a friend who was in some obvious sin and you knew things were going to go bad for them and the question came to me was, what do you think? Should I talk to them? Should I say something to them? Or I don't know, you know, this might really put a strain on our relationship. 
Some of you are even thinking about situations now where you see that coming, just like Jeremiah did. You see that someone is walking in a way that's going to go bad for them in the future, and we struggle internally. We can feel, do I want to talk to them or not? Even in Pastor Sexton's sermons recently in Romans 1, he's talked about how the good news of the gospel doesn't make sense unless we comprehend the bad news of God's wrath toward our sin first. So do you have a friend? Do you have a family member? Do you have someone that you know of right now who is walking in a way that is obvious and contrary to the word of the Lord, and you see the destruction that's coming. You see the bad consequences that are coming. And do we have the courage to talk to those people, to bear the prophetic word faithfully, as Jeremiah gives us an example to do today? Corporately, as a church, do we have the willingness to talk about the issues of our day in a way that is clear and compelling. We need to take a moment to examine our hearts, whether we are walking in the same kind of formalism that those in Israel walked in back in Jeremiah's day. And we also need to, on the other side, consider our hearts. Are we the kind of people who will talk to our friends, talk to our family members, talk to our church members, talk to the world about the destruction that comes from walking in sin. I think so often we're hesitant to do that because we are rightly afraid of becoming uh, busybodies. We're rightly afraid of throwing accusations around, of becoming um, cantankerous, becoming uh, difficult to get along with. So how do we, how do we keep from becoming uh, busybodies who are just simply accusing and counter-accusing one another. We have to keep in mind that the point of all warnings is repentance and restoration. Look at verse 3 and look at verse 13. Verse 3, Jeremiah says, God says to Jeremiah, perhaps They will listen and turn from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I propose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. Jeremiah relates this to them in verse 13. Now, therefore, he says, amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. God sends his dire warnings of judgment because he desires to relent. Not so that he will not have to relent, but because he desires to relent. God's prophets, like Jeremiah, our calling today as a church is to be like the tornado sirens that go off here from time to time. Every Wednesday, some certain Wednesday, I hear them every week up here. We're supposed to be like the tornado sirens. The sirens are inconvenient and they're loud and they interrupt whatever it is that you're doing. But the whole reason that they go off in the first place is so that others will take the action that they need to in order to escape the danger that is coming. 
Faithful prophets, faithful people love those that they are sent to. Jeremiah is famously called the weeping prophet. He says in chapter 9, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. That's God's heart towards his people. That's Christ's heart toward his people. Jesus is the ultimate example of the faithful prophet. In our gospel reading today, Jesus, like Jeremiah, is weeping over Jerusalem. He says, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. The Lord has great compassions, compassion towards sinners. Our sin arouses his anger, yes, but it also arouses his compassion and grief. Jesus knew well the wickedness of Jerusalem. He knew the crimes that had been committed there in the past, and he knew what was going to come upon himself soon in the time of his crucifixion, and yet he weeps over the city to gather them in. As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel 33. If you're here today and wandering in sin and far from the Lord, or if you do not know the Lord and you have not come to Him for salvation, you need to know that the wrath of God abides on you and your sin. But God is willing, eager even, to accept all those who come to Him for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God does not send the dire warnings of judgment because He is glad that the wicked would die, but because He sent His Son Jesus to bear our sins on the cross so that we might come to him and have freedom and forgiveness of sin. That's the point of coming to the temple in the first place, is not to come and, and, and participate at a formal level and to not be engaged, to not be believing, to not have faith, but to come and put your faith in the Son of God who bore our sins so that our sins might be taken away. If you do not know the Lord, you need to know that God's wrath abides on you and your sin, but that God has given His Son as a sacrifice for it so that you can be reconciled to Him. And so while some of us struggle to mention others' sins for fear of offending their sensibilities, other of, others of us need to be reminded that the whole point of warning others about God's judgments is so that we can display his mercy and his grace as he relents over disaster. Some of us are far, are, are far too much like the disciples with Jesus as he's on his way and they pass through the Samaritan village that won't welcome them. You remember James and John say, Lord, should we, they didn't welcome us. Should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? And he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Jesus, Jesus has wrath for sin, yes. But Jesus does not pour fire out on those, on those who slight him. So often we can get caught in this uh, polemical and apologetic way of speaking with one another, speaking with the world, instead of internalizing and, and remembering the mercy that God has had on us and the fact that we warn people is so that God can have mercy on them. So if you do, 
if you take up the call that God has given us as the church, that God has given you as an individual to give his words of warning to those who are walking astray, what kind of response will you get? Well, you'll get a varied response. Look at verse 11, and then look at verses 16 through 19. Verse 11 says, The priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. And in 16, it says, So the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Morasheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountains of the temple, like the bare hills of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. That's hopeful. There, there will be at times that people will repent at the preaching of the Lord. Certain of the elders rose up. Some of them might have been old enough to even remember Micah's preaching during the reign of Hezekiah and asked, did Hezekiah put Micah to death for saying pretty much the exact same thing that Jeremiah has said to us today? No, the example is given. Hezekiah had a soft heart God's word. He repented and relented, and the Lord, the Lord spared them the doom that he had prophesied would come against them. Why, the elders asked, should we do anything differently? Hezekiah repented at the preaching of Micah and was spared. Shouldn't we do the same thing? But we are in danger of endangering ourselves and the city if we refuse to listen to the prophet of the Lord. One application that I think might not be apparent to us, is that we should, we should do as the elders in this passage have done and stock up a memory of the times that God is merciful towards those who repent, both in your own life and especially in the scriptures. These elders, as they came to the trial, were able to remember, I remember when we repented as a city and it went well for us. Are there times in your life where you can remember that you repented of walking in sin, of walking astray, and God had mercy on you. Stockpile those in your mind and in your heart so that when a warning comes, when a judgment comes, when a verse that you read stings, you can remember, yes, when I repent, God shows mercy and it goes well for me. But that's not the only reaction that can happen. There's also the reaction of verse 11. Remember it. The priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and the people, saying, This man deserves to die. Interestingly, the priests forgot to mention um, the temple when they talked to the civil rulers. He says in verse 11, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. So they're selectively trimming it in front of the mayor, saying, This man is saying bad things about the city. They'd leave out the fact that he was talking about the temple as well. They want to shift from Jeremiah's message and appeal uh, to a sort of national or civic 
pride. Let's shift the discussion off of the sins, adultery, murder, uh, idolatry that Jeremiah is bringing up, and let's shift it to a discussion of how much Jeremiah loves our city or our people. Isn't he a big morale killer with Nebuchadnezzar's army out there at large? The same thing happened in the days of Jesus and the apostles. You can think of all the examples in Acts where the apostles are preaching. And, uh, for example, when Stephen preaches his sermons and, and they say that this man is speaking against Moses and against the temple. The whole point of Stephen's sermon was that they need to repent of their sin of crucifying the Savior. Stephen is preaching the gospel that God has saved the world through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and that they need to repent of murdering him. And the whole point that the Sanhedrin gets from that example is he's speaking against Moses. He's speaking against the temple. How often do we want to shift the discussion off of the sin that is at hand and onto something else that is beloved? It is such a common tactic in our own hearts. It's one that we should recognize will happen at times when we warn others as well. And so know that if you have a soft heart towards God's word and you take up his words of warning, that you will be treated unfairly at times. How should you respond? Look at verses 12 through 15. Jeremiah spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against the city with all the words that you've heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he's pronounced against you. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on the city, and on its inhabitants, for truly the Lord has sent me to speak all these words in your hearing. The brilliance of Jeremiah's defense is that he was not defensive, but he calmly restated that the message he delivered was God's. In essence, Jeremiah said, I'm only the messenger. The word is the Lord's, and therefore the issue is between you and the Lord. He refused to take it personally and to get involved personally, but he simply put it back onto the message of God and his word toward the people and called them to repent, saying, Amend your ways, and the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. He did not cower or plead. Instead, he said, Here I am. Do with me what seems good to you. This is is the pattern of someone whose hope is set on the Lord. The Lord Jesus exemplified this in an ultimate way in our gospel passage as the Pharisees came to him and said, Herod is wanting to kill you. And he simply referenced his ministry. I will complete my course and I will complete my ministry. You can go and tell Herod. It's the way that Jesus was before Pilate. Pilate was amazed that Jesus refused to answer him as he calmly and simply said my, said, my kingdom is not of this world, and said that you would have no authority over me unless it was granted, from, granted to you from above. This is, the, this is the kind of courage and the kind of humility that we have to have when we respond to others. How do we get that? 
How do we respond like Jeremiah? How do we respond like Jesus? Is it because they have some inner reserves of courage that we have to develop or that we need? No, it's they knew and they were looking towards the coming vindication. Look at verses 20 through 24. The elders continued, saying, Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaniah of Kiriath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against the land according to the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim, the king, with all his mighty men, and the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim, the king, sent men to Egypt, Elnathan, the son of Achor, and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahiakim the son of, of Shaphan was with Jeremiah so that they could not give him into the hand of the people and put him to death. Now that might seem like a really strange passage to bring up at a defense trial, at a defense hearing. The other one makes sense. Hezekiah repented, and we, we ought to repent too. And then they bring up the example of Uriah, who was killed by Jehoiakim. Some, some commentators have taken that as a, as, a, as a subtle threat to Jeremiah, that the elders are saying, and if you're not quiet, the same thing's going to happen to you. But I don't, I don't think that's what's going on at all. They bring up the example of Uriah, uh, of a prophet for whom it did not go well that he was extradited and killed because they're pointing out that it goes poorly for Jehoiakim afterward. Jehoiakim does not repent, and life goes poorly for him. Hezekiah did repent, and it goes well. The Lord relents of his doom. But the point in either of these is this. Jeremiah was delivered. Uriah was not delivered. But they both faithfully preached the same message. Some who live by faith are delivered from the, their enemies, and some who live by faith are de- delivered from their enemies by being killed. This is the point of the, of the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, there's uh, the hall of faith chapter where we hear about the, the saints in the past who lived faithfully, how they stopped the mouths of lions and put armies to flight and received uh, their dead back who, who gave birth miraculously. But then as the list continues, we also hear of those who were destitute and lived in caves and dens of the earth and sawn in half. And, and the point is that both of these were faithful and both were ultimately delivered. This is the understanding that Jesus had in our gospel passages. He responds to Herod. He says, tell him that today and tomorrow I will cast out demons and on the third day I will be perfected or I will complete my course. It's a veiled reference for them to the resurrection. Those with resurrection hope can be courageous in the face of danger, in the face of slander, in the face of opposition. If you're mistreated because of faithfulness to God's word, Jesus exhorts us to remember the prophets who have gone before us. In Luke chapter 6, he says, Rejoice, for your your reward is great in heaven. If we have this understanding, then we will have the courage to respond as Jeremiah did, as Jesus did. 
as the church, as God's people, we're tasked with faithfully receiving God's word, of hearing it, of believing it, of putting it into practice. And we're tasked with faithfully proclaiming God's word to one another and to the outside world. So as you meditate this week on Jeremiah's example and his ministry, may God give you a heart that is receptive and soft toward his word, tender with the errant and bold in obedience and proclamation. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and that it comes to us sweetly and that it comes to us with warning. Lord, teach us to flee to you because you are our refuge. You have mercy and you show mercy to those who repent and come to you. Lord, keep us, we pray, from presumption and presuming on your grace. Lord, conform us to, to be those who receive your word meekly and live it boldly. In Jesus' name, amen.